So if one of my son's friends asked what it was like, um, we could describe it as having the flu every day for three years. Aches, pains, headache, light sensitivity, all the nastiness that goes on with the flu, and then just a pain that extends generally into the whole body. That's Lena, a mom whose son struggles with chronic pain affected by somatization, and one of our guests today. Somatization is a physical reaction or body's expression of emotions and stress, like when we tear up when we're sad or breathe quickly when we're afraid. Everyone experiences somatization. It's a totally normal process. But for some people, it gets in the way of everyday life and needs to be addressed. I'm Bryn Asquith. And I'm Michelle Horn. Welcome back to another episode of Where You Are, a podcast brought to you by BC Children's Kelty Mental Health. Today we'll find out how powerful the mind-body connection is and how somatization can affect children and youth and what parents can do to help. Our guests today are Lena, a partnered working mom, teacher, and communicator who continues to support her child who lives with chronic pain affected by somatization. We also have in the studio Dr. Andrea Chapman, a psychiatrist at BC Children's Hospital who supports many families to understand the mind-body connection and somatization offering strategies and working towards recovery. Thanks to you both for being here. Our pleasure. Thank you. Dr. Chapman, when does somatization become something that's problematic? Uh, The way that we think about somatization, it's really our medical term for mind-body connection. Soma just means body, and somatization is the experience of stress or distress in your body. So it's very normal and very common. We all have somatization all the time. When we're working with families, we give our own examples. The example that I'll often give is migraines. I have migraines, and I can have those for lots of different reasons. But if I'm stressed or upset, I'm much more likely to have a headache. So that's kind of you know typical somatization. Sometimes somatization becomes really strong for a variety of reasons. And if it gets so strong that it's interfering in somebody's life, so they're not able to go to school, or their quality of life goes down, or they're not able to participate in family events, then we talk about it as a somatic symptom disorder or stronger somatization. Lena, can you describe your family's experience with somatization and the impact that that's had? Actually, prior to the podcast, I went back and I looked at some things. He experienced some symptoms when he was in first grade. He would go to school and his stomach would hurt. And he would go to the school nurse. We weren't living in Canada at the time. He would go to the nurse and she would give him some tea and it would settle his stomach. So it happened that it was mint tea, which helps with digestion anyway. But I think also it was just helping him to relax and and get used to his new place. But that was part of how he reacted to the stress. His body said, okay, there's a stress, let's have a stomach ache. And then in eighth grade, he missed numbers and numbers and weeks and months of school because his stomach aches were so bad. His digestion was so affected that he needed a very short dash to the washroom. So that doesn't happen in school. That's not available. And it becomes embarrassing in the stomach pain. And so eventually through grade eight and nine and 10, we continued to try and investigate what was causing the stomach aches. But in the meantime, we were looking for an explanation that was entirely physical, something that we could fix, because we very 
very badly wanted to be able to help him and fix it and take the pain away. He's now in 11th grade. He missed big, big chunks of three years of school. So not just missing school, but missing all of the other fun things. On top of that, all of his normal connection with friends was falling apart, understandably. Uh, He wasn't reaching out. He wasn't able to respond when they reached out to him. So the friends that he has that are still in his life are, I would say, some exceptional kids because it's very hard to maintain that social connection. I think a long time ago in medicine, it used to be, well, you're having a physical symptom, but somehow your mind is creating it. And then that becomes looked at as some sort of deficient way of operating. And what I really liked about the mind-body connection group that we got to participate in was we had a chance to look at, it's not something that you just create out of nowhere. It's something that happens. Mm-hmm. The, the mental influences the physical and the physical influences the mental. We really work with the children and the youth and the families to understand that these symptoms are very real. And unfortunately, they get the message that they're not real or somehow it's a weakness. Often families will tell us that they hear from maybe an emergency or from different physicians over time is that their kid is faking it or it's all in their head. So we, we still kind of prioritize yes. physical symptoms and physical illness over our emotions. And I think our world is catching up. I think our culture is catching up and people are starting to understand mind-body connection much more. But this, those are messages that the youth still get. And, and mm-hmm. you know, and, and so it makes it really hard. We never really doubted that he was in pain. What was confusing for us was what was emotional pain, what was psychological pain, and what was physical pain. And eventually it came to the point where it was just like, it doesn't matter, our (laughs) child is hurting. And that was, I think, the, the toughest thing to come to because we're curious people. We would much prefer to have answers. And when all you have are questions, we got to the point where we said, well, we'll just deal with this. I don't care where it came from. I don't care how he got it. I don't care about anything except that somehow we are able to help him. So, Lena, you mentioned the Mind-Body Connection Group. Can you tell us a little bit more about that group? So we met for six weeks with the clinicians here at Children's. And as far as understanding and coping on a daily, weekly, monthly kind of basis, that six-week session of meeting with other parents was, I would say, a pivotal point in in having a more hopeful attitude and having a more practical approach to what could we do each day. And it was incredibly helpful for me to be able to have a place where I was actually understood, where people had had the same unfortunate frustrations, the same difficult path, the same lack of answers, and the same I would say burning need to somehow try and help your child to do better. Um, The handbook that went along and all the exercises that we did in the group, I found the whole handbook helpful. 
That's fantastic. That family handbook actually happens to be on our Kelty website as one of our somatization resources. And we can put a link to where that is on our podcast episode page. Dr. Chapman, I know in the clinic that you work in, there's a model that you use that describes various stages of somatization. Mm -hmm. I'm wondering if you can walk us through that model. So six years ago, we we worked with four children and youth and parents, and we sat down with them and we asked them what their journey was like. And then we transcribed all of that and we looked at that and we realized that every one of those families had gone through a similar, similar journey in terms of phases. So at first what happens is everybody's confused. And it's the child and youth, it's the parents, it's actually the healthcare providers too. We're all somewhat confused about what's going on. And we should be, because we need to, at that point, we need to be thinking what's going on with the abdominal mm-hmm. pain or the headaches or whatever it is, and and have appropriate investigations and have the right people take a look at that. And if there is strong somatization or mind-body connection, then that phase can go on for a long time. So we're not great at picking up somatization early or conveying it to families in a way that that makes sense. Yeah. And if I can jump in, I yeah. think it's it's good that you don't immediately go to, Absolutely. well, it's somatization. Because Absolutely. in our son's yeah. case, you know, we didn't want to miss a type of cancer or an inflammatory bowel disease. So I'm very glad that it's one of the last things that becomes part of the discussion. Yeah, and we would we, we have a phrase that we use all the time, which is uh, walking two paths. So we say it's really important to continue to be aware of the potential medical side. So seeing your family doctor or going to emergency sometimes when it's appropriate, if new symptoms come up. At the same time when the youth themselves or the, the parents or the um, healthcare practitioners are starting to think that mind-body connection is playing a role, then it's really important to start paying attention to that. So that's the first phase. And then as we start to understand that somatization is playing a role, then that's a time when we start to do education around um, mind-body connection. What is the mind-body connection? What is somatization? And families and youth are starting to pick up on that too. So they're starting to see some relationship to stress or distress. So the next stage is the integrated treatments. And then we think about recovery. And what we're aiming for with recovery is for the children and the youth to have their life back because they've often been missing out on a lot. So those phases of confusion, connection, really getting into treatments that are helpful, and then recovery. You're listening to Where You Are. I'm Michelle Horn. Co-hosting with me today is Bryn Asquith. Coming up, Lena and Dr. Chapman share some helpful somatization resources for families. You can also find resources on our website, including a somatization video series at keltymentalhealth.ca. Lena, what I can hear from you, just sharing your journey so far, you alluded to the fact that it's still still ongoing. Ongoing for sure. (laughs) When you first started, what were some of the feelings and emotions that were surfacing for you? The feelings when we were in the medical system were frustration because initially, you know, the first fear is, what if there's something potentially fatal? What if there's something physically wrong? And, you know, we're spending all of this time, all of these different questions, all of these waiting times, which doctor do we see? How do we get to see that doctor? So generally, the pace of the medical system was a huge frustration for us. And as a parent, 
it was difficult to know when to push. Do I drag him to a different doctor? How do I even get him to a doctor when he's curled up like a shrimp on his bed? And at what point does it become an emergency? So at first when it happens, it feels like an emergency. But then when it just keeps going, then, okay, well, it's not an emergency anymore, but it's just as urgent. And so to have that constant push forward was very emotional, very draining. When we would go somewhere, we'd go through all of these things. He would go through the tests. It was very difficult to watch him kind of hope for an answer and then come to the realization that, oh, there is no answer. And in fact, he told me once that he woke up and he was like, oh, mom, I had a brutal dream. I said, well, what happened? And he said, well, in the dream, I was at another doctor's appointment and uh, he said, the doctor basically said, well, there's no real explanation for it. You're just going to have to learn to live with it. So that was literally his nightmare, and that's actually what ended up happening to him for a long time. So in that sense, not to be too dramatic, but it was a living nightmare for him. That was the worst possible thing that he could hear, and that's what he was hearing. And that's when we often step in, because we, we hear that a lot, that people really lose hope, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and as parents, it's so hard to see your child suffer every day and not know what steps to take. And so we step in and we say, you know, we, we're holding your hope for you because we've worked with so many families in similar situations and we have every expectation that things are going to get better. And that really did help. He did he did get that message. We did get that message. And so when you were asking what were some of the initial emotions, I would say that one of the first would be frustration and and then an anger. And neither of those is very useful when dealing with a giant medical system. You know, I kept pushing and saying, okay, what is the next thing? What's the next thing? So if it's not this, then what is the next step? And I refused to believe that there was an end to the road. Mm -hmm. And that was um, a little bit of mama bear stubbornness, I guess, is there, there has to be something that we can do to help. And, and, that, and there is lots. So we think about these puzzle pieces that are really helpful for people. And that's partly based on the research. It's par- partly based on our experience as clinicians. And it's a lot based on what youth and families have gone through and how what's been helpful for them. And Lainey, you mentioned that through this process of connecting with other parents, you were able to kind of shift to a more hopeful and practical kind of approach to things. So would you be able to share a few of those bright spots just for those parents out there that are still in that place of feeling very frustrated and angry and overwhelmed? I think the first thing is to realize that you are not the only person who is going through it and to take off the boulder of guilt and frustration and, you know, say, you know, that is a giant boulder. And to be able to set that aside, not to deny it, but just to acknowledge it and say this has been extremely heavy. It's affected us and it hasn't been good. And I think that's part of it is we would like to put this shiny face forward to the world and someone says, how are you doing? And you say, oh, fine, you know, even when it's not fine. So... To be honest about how difficult it is, I think to shift into viewing that honesty as a strength rather than an admission of weakness, I think is good because um, I think the more we try to deny our emotions about things, 
the more power we give them and the denial takes an awful lot of effort. So for a parent who's listening who hasn't had that support, it's really, really hard. Mm -hmm. And to say that it's really, really hard, I think is the first step toward being able to strengthen our responses and understand better and also to respond better. Mm -hmm. I've given it a lot of thought and one of the things that I've realized about myself and that I think I saw in the other parents as well is that we still feel responsible for our children and to not be able to do our jobs well in our minds because our children weren't doing well that feels like you know somehow we're doing something wrong and to also set that giant boulder aside to say we're not failing as parents we're succeeding as parents because we're still trying and that was a relief for me I would say that was probably one of the bright spots. To also be able to welcome and hold on to all of the difficult emotion in the room was very, very freeing. And so if a parent listening has a friend who can give them a really good listen, that is extremely powerful. And so to just be able to say, this is very, very hard. It's very challenging. It's very draining. I think that is a huge relief. I like that visualization of taking those heavy boulders off your shoulders (laughs) of denial and guilt. I think that's really powerful. So Dr. Chapman, in the model that you spoke about earlier, you mentioned an integrated treatment as one Mm -hmm. of the stages. Can you go through what is commonly included in that treatment phase or stage? Mm -hmm. So, well, we have six puzzle pieces, and I'll talk about each of those. And the big picture is that those are individualized for every person. So it's not that every person needs to do every little bit that's in our integrated treatment plan. And sometimes one puzzle piece kind of comes to the the forefront a little bit more than others. Um, The first piece that we talk about is the medical treatment. So are you getting the right medical treatment? Are there any other investigations, any other people that you need to be seeing? What is kind of the medical plan? Mm -hmm. And then we also think about the mental health care. And so if somebody has strong anxiety or depression or an eating disorder or another mental health condition, then we also need to be making sure that we're attending to those, those aspects. And then we think about the things that are, the other kind of pieces that are helpful for somatization. And we start off with a physical symptom management plan. So that just means that's not like treating the symptom, but it's really how do you manage, how do you cope with having the symptom in the moment? So in order to get back to school or get out of your room for a few (laughs) minutes or Mm -hmm. what's going to help you cope in that very moment. And that could be something like a hot water bottle or it could be for me, if I get a migraine, then it might be a cup of coffee because that helps or a few deep breaths. (laughs) So these are really practical strategies. Then our next puzzle pieces are, we talk about getting back to healthy, normal um, development. So so getting back your normal life, and that has to be coupled with balance and pacing. So it's really hard to do the things that you used to be able to do in, in the normal ways that you used to do them, but we want to start to make little inroads. And so it may not be being at school full time, but it might be doing some online courses or you may be in your room quite a bit of the time, but we want you to come out for family dinner. 
So little pieces, so balance and pacing, but starting to get your life back. The last piece that we talk about in our integrated treatments is the really tuning into emotions. And, st- and so being aware of stresses and distress and starting to develop coping strategies. So we think about somatization or an element of somatization is really being your body is talking for you emotionally. And so being able to tune into what what's going on emotionally with you, with people around you, and understanding those, that's the one of the biggest biggest parts that's really important. Is there anything else in the mind-body group, any parenting strategies that either of you thought would be really helpful for parents to hear about, Dr. Chapman or Alina? Well, I guess the only thing is that we, we also try to let um, the youth and the families know that we really never wish they had gone through this, but it is really an opportunity to learn a lot about yourself, to learn a lot about your emotions, and to develop tools and coping strategies that are really good for you in the long run. So we'd rather they go through this now than when they're in their early 20s and out there on their own, Mm -hmm. (laughs) right? It's a better time in some ways. And I was gonna say, you've mentioned a couple resources as well. So the Mind Body Connection Group was one. Are there any other resources for families that you wanted to highlight? Yeah, so we have a family handbook, and that goes through everything that we've talked about today in, in much more detail. And we have a professional handbook that's very similar. And so for any teachers, counselors, therapists, doctors, nurses that want to look through the professional handbook, that, that gives some guide. And then for the families, there's the family handbook. And those are on the Kelty as well. Well, thank you so much, Lena and Dr. Chapman, for being with us today as we wrap things up. Were there any final thoughts or words of wisdom that you wanted to share with our listeners? Thinking back to everything that we were talking about today, I think for parents, I would hope the message would be keep going. Mm -hmm. Acknowledge that it's difficult. Keep pushing and listen listen to your kids and also, you know, listen to your gut as well. That's a wonderful, hopeful last message to end on. Thank you so much. Thank you both. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Michelle, happy to have co-hosted another episode with you. And thanks to our listeners for joining us. This episode of Where You Are is brought to you by BC Children's Kelty Mental Health Resource Centre. To find resources for this episode or to subscribe, go to keltymentalhealth.ca slash podcast or find us wherever you listen to podcasts. We hope you'll make us a go-to resource to promote your family's mental health and wellness from where you are to where you want to be.